Every country wants a strong economy. And the recent Jobs and Skills Summit in Australia was looking to uncover initiatives to build a bigger, better trained and more productive workforce, boost wages and living standards, and create more opportunities. However, there seemed to be a lack of voice and opinion from owners and operators of small to medium businesses. This provided all the inspiration for Daniel and myself to look at the topics that would be covered in a small business summit. From wages and productivity right through to reward and recognition programs for training and development of staff, strap yourselves in for an episode to get your brain thinking about initiatives that could be introduced to help your business today. You're listening to WorkerX Edge, the podcast designed to break down business challenges and turn them into competitive advantages to take your business forward. And welcome back to another Worker X Edge podcast. And today we are going to be covering off on all things Job Summit. So what do I mean by that? Recently, there has been a Job Summit in Australia, and I'm sure there has been multiple of these all around the world where government, private and public industries are getting together to talk around the pain points which are having an impact on business. So we're talking cost of living, skill shortages and that sort of thing. But what we have noticed is there has been a lack of a voice from small business and medium enterprises. So what we wanted to do today with my talented co-host Daniel Roberts is having a look at running a small business summit. So Daniel, what do I mean by that? What are we going to look at today? Thanks, Jason. Podcast three already, eh? So we're getting warmed up and we thought we'd change it up today by running our own small business summit, tackling all things that they discuss at the job summit, but with a bit more of a small business edge. What are we talking about? You guys are feeling the pain right now when it comes to cost of living, just as much as our employees, our staff and everything are. We've all been there where potentially employees come up wanting a wage increase that's reflective of covering the cost of living. But what do we as business owners need to do in that situation? We either have to absorb it and make a smaller margin or we have to pass that on to the customers, which then in turn means that those customers are paying more for the product, which then means really real wages are worse off, not better off. So we thought we'd put together a couple of ideas if we were in control and go from there. So Daniel, is what you're saying to me, do you feel like small business and medium-sized business are getting the raw end of the deal right now? I'm very passionate about small business owners. So yes, I feel like they're kind of the silent voice that no one really listens to. And yeah, I think you're all unsung heroes, to be honest, doing a great job. So I'm sure there'll be some things in here that you guys turn around and go, why can't we do that? We don't necessarily know the answers because we're suggesting it. Who knows, maybe someone with some importance out there might take on an idea. Eventually, that can help us all out. All right, so let's get stuck into the weeds with it. So we're going to look at a, here's, here's a bit of an overview of some of the things that we've come up. We've thrown it on the whiteboard. We're going to start to drill down into some of these areas. So first one is wages versus productivity. Next one is looking at some sort of a transition to work program. And then looking at contractor versus employee arrangements always a battle that's raged on for eons you know 
what that looks like from government regulation and what that looks like from a a front-end business point of view. Then we're going to have a bit of a chat around training and development and some sort of a recognition and and reward system in play. And then finally, we're going to just delve into a little bit of data-based capturing of productivity on people's resumes and CVs and that sort of thing. So couple of little out there concepts. So let's get stuck in wages and productivity. Daniel, give me a bit of an overview on wages versus productivity. What are we talking about here? What are we going to be looking at? What can the everyday business owner and operator do within their business to look at wages and productivity? So this is something that we're looking at in our own business. So when it comes to uh, wages and we're all battling that at the moment with whether it's our current staff or trying to onboard additional people. But if the wage level continually goes up, then everything moves up. And I think what we need to actually look at is how to reward productivity within the hour, as opposed to just paying an hourly rate. So what I mean by that is if you've got 10 guys building a door, for example, and two of those guys can make an extra door in the same time as the other eight, well, then rewarding that for output. So, you know, making it so it's actually relevant to an outcome and then also having a measuring stick for what you need for where people get to in the day in terms of just covering their own wage. When you talk to your staff and stuff, I think it's a powerful thing to give them flexibility in what they're able to earn, almost like a commission for sales guys. But it's also something that then the business owner can talk to the guys about, this is why we need you to do more, but then we're happy to to reward that. But yeah, if we could measure it based on output for an eight hour day, as opposed to just increasing the hourly rate, I think that would be an amazing outcome for businesses, but it's also something that's a win for employees. What do you think, Jason? Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying. And I think what we need to look at first and foremost is cool concept. Love it. I think everyone's more than happy to reward people under them in terms of their productivity. Or what I would say is, how do we develop that benchmark? Let's say I've got a concreting business. I've got a team of four guys working for me. The one who's been there the longest has been there for about seven years with me. I've come off the tools, started as a sole trader and then built the business over time. And then I might have another guy that's been with me a couple of years and some apprentices. So if we're looking at productivity, how do we do that benchmarking? How do we then start to understand, well, right, this is what, you know, are we doing it from a square meterage point of view when we're looking at output and how quick we can do certain tasks and activities? So how would we look to put that in business? What steps did you go through to be able to manage that? I think the relevant metrics are going to be obviously different depending on the industry. But when it comes to, I guess, setting the bar for your own business, ideally you've got some data already that you can refer to. So that might be, you know, you can go back through some of your old daily run sheets for potentially your installers and sort of just get a bit of a gauge as to what are you getting as an output currently. If you're potentially a sole trader who's now a business owner, obviously you're going to have a fair idea of what you can do in a certain time frame. And whether that is if you're pushing yourself or if that's quite a complacent measuring stick and contractors obviously have a a rough guide as well with, you know, they're kind of doing that anyway. Right. So I think you've got to start with what you have, which is your old, you know, some scheduling, potentially you've got better data than that already. If you don't have that, then it might be, you might have to start with some 
emotional observations and some of them might be reflective of what you've done in that position before. I think that's quite a easy thing to, or not easy necessarily, but that's something that is achievable. I think from a, a business owner and operator point of view is they can easily see themselves being able to sit back and then just start to capture some of that data. Because as our loyal listeners will know, we are all about data. We love it. And we'll talk about that in one of our other topics a little bit later in this episode. But I think, yeah, getting that data is absolutely key. The other thing I would take into consideration, particularly when you've got varying levels of of experience through that that scenario I just gave you before is being very careful not to set your productivity benchmarks based on what say me as the coming from a sole trader background and and being a concreter for 15 20 odd years versus someone who's very green you know who's an apprentice and once you can understand that the benchmark might be whatever I can do less 70% of that from a productivity point of view for that apprentice or whatever. And I think that also helps when you are measuring output and your training and just seeing how some of these younger guys or girls, depending on whatever your industry or your business is in, start to understand how they, they are developing over a period of time. And every year their benchmark might creep up with what the expectation of the productivity, but then they've got that opportunity to earn on top of that. Like you've said. Yeah. And they, they end up having control of what they're earning. So every day, it's not a set figure at the end of it. Like for those that are employed, they're always going to have a, a base hourly rate. This is just saying, hey, that's fine. We're supportive of that. But what we want to do is also go, hey, if you meet that plus sum, can give you extra. So every day you've got that opportunity to turn around and it might be an extra 60 bucks that you can earn because you put out two doors or something like that. So to me, I think that's a one of the easiest things that could be implemented when it comes to this cost of living situation and trying to get some control back and create a win-win. All right, probably have more thoughts. And and a lot of these ideas and concepts you'll notice will overlap a little bit and have some integration between them. So let's start to look at our next one that I mentioned earlier, which was the transition to work program. All right, Daniel. Surely this has to come from somewhere in particular, whether or not you're dealing with some of the younger or the the junior guys coming out of schools, TAFEs, universities. What have you observed? What do you mean by transition to work? Let's unpack that a little bit. Yeah, so I think we've had the opportunity to trial a lot of different individuals of varying ages, particularly with the younger generation. I think some of the obstacles for business owners um, right now is they don't necessarily even want to work a 38-hour week, like the full-time hours. They want that flexibility. I guess their expectations of what they're going to earn are a lot higher than probably what someone of that age, even 20, you know, 15, 20 years ago would have been. And even the impact on the team, like if they have a sick day or don't feel very well, like they don't understand the ramifications of that. So everyone's entitled to being sick, but I think sometimes we potentially could be lies about, I'm sick or, hey, I just really wanted to go check this out. And it was on a Friday and that was the easiest way to not get questioned about it. So, yeah, when we're, I guess there's some really good people in schools now trying to 
help start this journey along with you know, work experience and pairing that up with some um, education. I think it would be fantastic if there was a bit of a model, I guess, for post-school, if there was a eight-week period or a 12-week period where the individual earns a little bit of money, but it's not so much about the money. I think it's about them character building and building a reference that they can use on their resumes for their first job. I think the common pathway these days that's typically go from school to uni a lot of um, individuals do start an apprenticeship in grade 10, but maybe those that are just finishing school may struggle with that. I guess the idea of starting an apprenticeship in their first year out of school because of the, you know, the money and, you know, they get concerned that, hey, I'm only going to be earning a small amount for this 12 months. Can I handle it? Yeah. I think if there was a program just to maybe create some realistic expectations and just help people to understand the whole working uh, relationship with your business owner, with your peers, what expectations you have, what a KPI even is. I think that would be something that could be utilized with small business owners. Yeah. I think when we've got a junior that has come into the business or has an expectation around the hourly rate or what they deem is the amount that they need to survive and and that sort of thing, it's very short-term thinking, right? And obviously there is cost of living pressures on everyone, whether you've got children, whether we're talking fuel and petrol expenses, whether we're talking groceries and and all that sort of thing. We totally understand that. What we are saying is when you're in your formative years and you're starting to understand and, and become an employee and then you may decide to continue along that path or you may decide to go and get yourself a trade or become a contractor and have an ABN or run your own business one day. Whatever it looks like, whatever path you take, you still need to have an awareness and appreciation for where that money is coming from. And just because you might be sitting in a role now and you can jump ship to a different industry that's paying really well or big money at the moment, that may not be there forever. That may not be a a sustainable solution. It may be due to these pain points and some of the cost of living issues and and so forth. That is what is driving that, that hourly rate up. And then everyone sort of flocks over to that. You've left potentially a career pathway or the early stages of really good track or or business that you started off with just to chase that dollar. And then what has happened is what we've we've seen over over a number of years, and this happens with with cycles, whether it's weather patterns, economic decisions, import export, whatever those issues are that create strain on business and so forth, that can change very quickly. You know, you might go and jump ship to take a $40 an hour job, but then in a year's time, that then drops to $25 an hour or something like that. There was that significant demand, you jump ship, and then where are you 12 months later? You might be sitting in a a role there, not in an industry or career path or whatever that you wanted to do, but you're quick to, to sort of chase the dollars there. So I think coming back to doing a transition to work program, really understanding, okay, well, yes, you can only pay me. XYZ amount, but then going back to sort of some of those productivity discussions and so forth, you're actually setting yourself up for a long term to have a better appreciation for what goes into business and, and what goes into to a wage, I guess. Yeah, definitely. Again, we relate to sport sometimes and um, you see, obviously, players get drafted and their expectation is that they'd hope to get a game in their first year, but by no means are they gifted it, I guess. They've got to work for it. And, you know, I guess. Some of that doesn't necessarily translate into some of our industries where people want to start and prove themselves and work their way up. 
So we could potentially include that into a transition program from school to work, then I think it could be a good thing. Okay. Well then I think we I touched on a little bit just before. So then let's move over to contractor versus employee, you know, setting up businesses to have more choice in terms of what uh, an employment arrangement looks like. What are your, your sort of thoughts when we're, we're talking around a, a contractor versus employee arrangement in our small business summit that we're talking about? Well, it comes down to, I think, ownership of the outcome. So if you're doing the work and it's your, your reputation and you've got to meet a certain quota to pay your bills and stuff like that, it's probably just, I guess it's almost like running a, a sole trading business within a business. So you're utilizing some of these small businesses to get your work, but at the end of the day, you've got some control. Similar to what we're talking about with the productivity thing, you've got the control to sort of go really hard and work big days or take a day off. You've got that flexibility, but you're building your own schedule. You you know what you need to earn. The contractor's paying for things like their vehicle expenses, some of their licensing and everything like that. I mean, in a perfect world, you could model everyone to potentially be an employee and have that wage productivity thing that we discussed at the start. That way there is some security. But I think right now, some business owners are probably struggling a little bit to keep employees motivated on a wage. So without one of these two options, yeah, it's just probably a bit harder going than it needs to be, particularly then when as business owners, you want to work on your business and stuff. The team knows what they need to do and that they've all got their own little goals and they can achieve them within your business without feeling like, oh, you know, who's coming to me next to inquire about more money. Yeah, and no, I think that goes back to that transparency and alignment piece, something that we covered off on on episode two a lot. So even having that sort of trust with not only your employees but your contractors as well, I think sometimes government regulation suggests that their main sort of driver or, or group that they're protecting is sort of employee and employee rights and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, we're not looking to get into a political debate around that. But what we are talking about in our small business summit is maybe there is consideration for a bit of a, a relaxation around some of that because there is some really good contractors out there, people that want their ability, um, just like you've touched on, want their ability to to look after their own sort of workflow and work arrangement and they're happy to pay their own insurances and they keep their motor vehicle serviced and up to date. And so everyone's sort of getting their pound of flesh, so to speak, from taxes and all that sort of stuff, particularly with the gig economy and the rise of all of that. Maybe it's time to sort of revisit some of those arrangements and and see what can be done. Yeah, I think those that work with their hands, whether it's trades or operations and stuff, they don't want to start a small business necessarily and be, you know, dealing with the marketing and the selling to customers and stuff. They just accept the fact that, hey, I really enjoy working with my hands, working on the tools, but I do need obviously the work to fulfill. So I think there is definitely a positive relationship for those where it works. There is a downside to contracting as well. There are times where people can potentially abuse that relationship when it comes to trying to maybe rush jobs to get more in in a day and that results in more service calls and everything like that. And that becomes a bit of a concern. But yeah, similar to like you said in podcast two with the trust and transparency, you definitely just need to keep an open communication. If there is concerns, address it and move on if it's not going to be resolved. All right, up next in our um, small business summit, 
I know this one's pretty close to Daniel's heart, and that is training and development and looking at some sort of reward or recognition uh, system within that. I'll let Daniel just go through a bit of a conceptually. You know, you would, uh, our listeners know that we like to use a lot of sort of sporting analogies and that sort of stuff. So, Daniel, take us through what you mean by that and then some of the instances where this has been an issue and how a system in play could help alleviate some of that. Yeah, definitely. I like to reference, obviously, a multiple sport in the soccer world or the football world for international listeners. There are longer-term contracts that players sign and normally they pay a fee to another club to bring them across. I don't know the exact model, but I feel like something similar to a model of you know maybe longer contracts and having the ability to create a win-win-win when it comes to employee movement as such could potentially help with this skill shortage that we do have. I think some of that from what I've seen with small business owners is they put their heart and soul into that first person that they potentially employ to take over some of their responsibilities. Like we said, they've tackled it with complete trust, believe that this is going to be a game changer. I'm going to get a second one. I'm then going to put a third one on only to find before they've even had the chance to put the next individual on that the second individual has been poached by another business behind their back or decided to go and start their own business without really rewarding the original small business who got them invested in into the opportunity and open their world to potentially what that could look like. So we see now businesses are paying quite decent amounts for say recruiters and they might be paying 15% of the employee's annual wage if you bring someone on. And I just think potentially there's more transparency in that space. Potentially that 15% or something could go back to a small business owner and that's enough for them to, you know, whether it's a cash flow issue at the time and they go, well, I need it and I don't have the work for that individual or potentially it's, you know, it is time to move on because there's some clashes of opinion or the trust has been broken. I think there'd be a more open-minded approach to tackling some of these skills shortages from within. If there was the ability to at least know, hey, if this person moves on, I might get some reward for effort. I think another point there that I want to throw at you, Daniel, is some of the collaboration activities, particularly around if you've got a choice of losing a good employee to another business in your industry or external to your industry, surely it's a benefit to retain that person, their IP and knowledge within the industry, even if they're going to a competitor within your industry surely particularly around some of the industries where maybe they don't have uh, recognized trades or qualifications and things like that and it's hard to build ip and knowledge up over time surely there's got to be some sort of desire there as a collective yes you could be setting a competitor up to win more work and more jobs and that sort of thing but surely it's better to retain that individual in the ip in the hope that if you've got an open good working relationship you might be able to look at combining for a joint venture and and so forth but surely that there's got to be that sort of level of appreciation don't cut off your nose to spite your face type of thing is keep them in the industry first and foremost yeah businesses go through ups and downs and if you can identify ways to you know through your down periods it might be whip sales i guess you know utilize that person they might love working for you and the last thing you want to do is lose them yeah, there's a way that you could turn around to two or three other companies within your industry and create a bit of a partner alliance or whatever. And just be open about the fact that, hey, I've got an installer that might be available or manufacturer who 
might be available to take on some work. We were just looking to offset their wages for a period of time. Yeah, I think that could only be a good thing. And then it also helps that business to you know maintain capacity because there's nothing worse than losing an asset heading into a busy period and then not being able to utilize your good periods because you've lost too many people along the way and haven't been able to move on and pick up someone else, whether it's from the industry or start from scratch. In saying that also, I think side that's probably in my eyes, a little unfair for small business owners at the moment is someone can obviously have a conversation with a, another business about potentially working for them. And this can all happen behind their back and that's accepted in society currently. If you reverse it, however, and say that um, individual is causing a lot of problems within that business, it does seem like, you know, you've got to go through a, a process of performance managing and really overseeing that individual. And it's quite hard work, I guess. And it might just be a matter of time, but you've had to invest all these things and they turn around and say, see you later. I'm out of here anyway. Yeah. I think that's pretty tough on business owners at the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's not something that we, um, that we like to see, you know, someone that's producing or having some sort of a an output for the business, work, walking away at the um, the most inopportune time. And I think that's a, a really nice segue into our last point there, Daniel, which is talking about data-based resumes and, and CVs and, and that sort of thing. So go through that a little bit. What do you mean by that? What would you like to see there? So I remember a discussion when we were hiring someone who'd recently left a business because that business was deciding not to trade in that space anymore basically their only job they'd ever had and they'd been there for 20 years. And I just remember a comment where the individual was saying, I don't really know how to express my experience on a resume. All I can do is say who I worked for and some basic outlines of what my responsibilities at the time were. That's very hard for both the individual and also the business who potentially might hire that person because you're basing it on a paragraph for also of a list of responsibilities, typically resumes, you know, you're going to, you're not going to put a bad reference on a resume. Well, I'm yet to find one. And yeah, I was thinking, well, that person that has 20 years experience could be really, really good in comparison to what you've seen, or they might still need some training and development because what they've done in the industry so far isn't of a similar standard to your own business. But at least if you had some data, potentially even some, you know, maybe some related reviews based on that individual being mentioned in Google reviews or Facebook, but then also how many applications that person made or how many they've installed in their time, at least you can turn around and say, hey, this person has requested this amount of money, but I can see they've already got this amount of experience from actual output that's shown on data. At least then you can go, hey, I can expect to learn how we as a business do certain things. They're going to pick it up pretty quickly in four to six weeks time. They're going to be producing. What obviously can happen is if you put someone on, say, a higher amount because they've come to your business and you're hoping that that's the outcome and it doesn't, is that there's no real chance to for that individual to prove himself once a few things go wrong. Sort of starting the relationship on a pretty sketchy ground. So I don't know what your thoughts are on that. And that was probably of the list that we've gone through so far. I mean, that's quite a out there thought, but hey, uh, we're running the small business summit, aren't we? That we are, that we are. And I I concur with uh, a lot of the points you were making there. It comes back to the quickest we can onboard a new individual 
into our business and having a few key metrics there to help us as business owners or operators shorten that process, build that trust and rapport as quickly as possible. But having some sort of a productivity score can only be a good thing. We're not saying for a moment that this is achievable within a five, five minutes. There would have to be a lot of thought that goes into this. But maybe it's something that you could look at in your own business. You know, how would you do that? How would you um, map out a, a productivity score? And look, Daniel and I are always open to having a chat and exploring these concepts a little further. Like we say every week, hit us up on LinkedIn, send us a message and that sort of thing. We might be able to unpack and, and you guys might have some of these answers where um, it could help not only your business, but other businesses within your industry and then other industries as well. That's what we're here to do. We're here to look at some of these ideas and concepts with a, an idea to bring it forward and, and create growth opportunities. That's what the, the podcast is, is all about. So just as a bit of a, a recap there, then Daniel, we came in with a bit of a challenge for ourselves. We wanted to run our own small business summit and, um, and tackle a, a few little items there. First one was wages and productivity. Next one was a transition to work program, contractor versus employee arrangements, reward training and development. And then finally, what we just covered was uh, the data-based resumes. And I think throughout that, we gave a, a few explanations and scenarios and recommendations for a few of those. And others are, are more conceptual ideas. And hey, you know, let's start thinking about it. Let's start putting our heads together to to try and come up with new and better ways of doing things. So that's sort of the episode in a, a bit of a nutshell. Look, as always, make sure you're hitting that subscribe button on your favorite podcast channels. You can get us on LinkedIn. Uh, check out the show notes. Make sure you have a look at some of the transcripts on the Transistor FM side if you haven't located that one as yet. We'll put that in the show notes as well. And we will catch you for the next one. You've been listening to the WorkerX Edge podcast. We hope you found some great takeaways from today's episode that you can implement into your business to give you a competitive advantage. To support the show, please rate, review and share with your family, friends and business connections, as well as subscribing on your favorite podcast platforms such as Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple and Google Podcasts. Alternatively, head over to workerxedge.transistor.fm to ensure you don't miss an episode.